episode of Thick and Thin Hoops, where ball is always life. I'm your host, Karthik, here with my co-host, Nathan. What's good, Nathan? I'm the uh, literal representation of Kermit sipping tea right now. Um, <laughs> so let's go through a couple things to, to get us started here. For the first time in 15 round one series, LeBron James uh, loses uh, to the opponent. For the first time since 2006, we won't have a finals that includes either LeBron, the Lakers, or the Warriors. So really, or Steph Curry, you could say. And for the first time since 2010, LeBron is eliminated in the playoffs from by a team in his own conference. All that to be said, that is a great resume for anybody who wants to have a conversation about LeBron's legacy. But for the moment, it is quite enjoyable to see the dynasty of LeBron and the dynasty of the Lakers take a slight tumble. Uh, so, of course, Phoenix beat uh, Los Angeles last night, ending that series four games to two. Anthony Davis played, played five minutes, was clearly you know not going to be able to make it and came out of the game. Incredible that they even cleared him somehow. So let's start there. Um, how much did the Davis injury you know, we know it impacted the series quite a bit, right? So that's not the point. But let's say there was a healthy Davis, like he showed out in game two, game three. Do you think this series still goes the way that it did, which is ultimately a Phoenix win? Or do you think it, it, you know, you feel pretty confident that that was the deciding factor for the Lakers not moving on? I think it was clearly the the deciding factor. Uh, The the Lakers figured figured it out by game three with AD playing well. They were rolling. And I, I don't think they were going to lose a, a series like this. Despite how good Phoenix looked like at the end, with a healthy AD, even with LeBron a little hobbled and not playing up to his standard, uh, this Lakers team was still going to roll. I, I really think that his injury, not only from a uh, basketball standpoint, I think it just had a deflating kind of impact on the entire team and their morale. And that's no excuse because you know I, we have a lot to talk about in terms of how they actually played these last few games. But I think this team is running on fumes at this point, and you know, a catastrophic injury like this, they were never going to be able to survive. So I, I do think they would have won had AD played, but I don't know how far this team would have got it, to be honest. I think it's a toss-up, right? Because a lot of people are like, oh, that's the reason why they're out, and therefore we're nothing further to discuss. I don't know that that's necessarily true. Like, you look at, like, AD played roughly, what, three and a half games, right? And I think... Game one, he was terrible. We know that. The, the Suns won. Games two and three, he was actually really good. Um, and, you know, he was their leading scorer, I think, in both of those games, had a couple 30-point games. And so they took what felt like at the time a commanding series lead. But game four, even before the groin injury, that was going back and forth, right? Like, I think at a halftime, it was maybe like a three-point game. Uh, Lakers might have been up three or Suns might have been up three. I'm not really sure. AD doesn't come out for the second half. It's an absolute blowout. And since then, I mean, it is crazy. Like, from game four halftime for the next 10 quarters, it was a just route of massive proportions, right? So I think it clearly tilted it way out of balance, but I don't know that it's just, hey, the Lakers would have clearly advanced if Davis was healthy. I don't know that because I think it was actually a pretty even series. DeAndre Ayton was getting what he wanted. Booker was getting what he wanted. Like to me, it's like, does Davis help the Lakers stop Devin Booker from going like eight of 10 from three and protection? Devin Booker was getting freely into the paint. But Devin Booker's game last night was jump shots. It wasn't just jump shots. 
I mean, it was like he hit eight out of ten threes, which is totally but, but out of a body lot of the, he he was doing a lot of drive and kick as well. The whole offense, the ball was popping, the ball was moving, and a lot of that can happen when you don't have rim protection and guys are scrambling to rotate. And AD helps all those rotations because he covers so much ground and because he's such a versatile defender. So I, I agree, it's not going to be an easy. I don't think the Lakers are going to beat him at five. I, I think it would have been six or seven. But I'm not betting against even this hobbled version of LeBron with a healthy AD. I'm not betting against them in a game seven against Phoenix. So let's talk about LeBron, right? Because LeBron now, the the thing that I always worry about is when you're counting on Anthony Davis to be the A1 performer as, as a way to push through, it's not, we have not had a good track record of that always taking place, right? He's had many playoff series where he hasn't played well. He's had other playoff series where he's gotten hurt. Like part of the deal with Anthony Davis is that he gets hurt a lot, right? So I don't know, like a lot of people are like, oh, this is a sham and this isn't a real series. It's like, well, you're talking about a guy that is constantly battling these kind of like ticky-tack injuries. So the fact that it would come up in a season where he already had some is almost should be planned for. But LeBron, on the other hand, started looking like, you know, a 36-year-old player who's, you know, put 50,000 minutes or whatever it is on his body. And I'm not going to count him out until he tells me he's done playing. Like this is the Tom Brady situation that everyone's kind of referencing. But we we spoke about this last week. Remember, we we're like, he can't get around Cam Johnson. He can't get around Mikael Bridges. It's just very, very weird. He's counting almost pure IQ level at this point to, to make plays. And he had bursts of athleticism. But, you know, whether it was the ankle or whether it was the age, he did not look like anything resembling not only what we've seen over the course of his career, but even what we saw in the bubble last season. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I was incredibly sad watching yesterday's game because I, I know the argument of you know this just could be a blip. The ankle. It's been a long season. He'll come back next year. The ankle injury is not some catastrophic. It's not Kobe and his Achilles. But you don't know when that drop off happens with athletes ever. It happens fast. It happens quick. And I'm afraid that what we saw last night was more than just a blip in the radar. And this could be the decline of LeBron. Um, and I'd like to blame it on the ankle. Look, as a big LeBron fan, I'd like to say blame it on a lot of things. But I just I have a feeling he doesn't have it anymore. And, and the sad part is I'm watching that game, and it's just – it's like when you're watching the end of Jordan's career or Kobe's career, except the difference is, look, LeBron didn't help himself. I don't like the way he handled yesterday, his pouting. He's always been somewhat of a crybaby when things don't go well. But to see the slander, to see people kind of, you know – dancing upon his grave when I'm just sad, man. I'm just sad that this career might be coming to an end and he's going to play for a couple more years, but who knows if he's going to be at the level of we're accustomed to. Like it was only eight months ago where LeBron was dropping 40 in the finals game. And still, you know, despite AD playing well as well, LeBron was a force in that finals and was a force all through that playoffs. Um, And, and now it looks like, I don't know if we'll ever get there again. Like yesterday uh, he couldn't even get lift. Uh, near the rim, like he did go into a hyper aggressive mode in the court, the third quarter, and he was getting to the rim and getting stuffed by the rim multiple times. Couldn't finish layups, like, and this is when he was trying hard. So I can't blame I that on, you know, him not trying, lack of effort. It was, it was sad to watch, man. So I don't know. That's what I took away from the game. I know everyone's the talk show hosts are going wild. Everyone's <laughs> happy about this, but it's it's sad, man. 
the the sequence where he got to the lit rim, missed the bunny layup, then got stuffed by Jay Crowder. I was like, it's a wrap. No, yeah. Here, here's the thing though, right, dude? Like this is this is why I think we're just letting our imaginations run away. Like you talked about this multiple times all season about how good LeBron was defensively, right? And how the metrics all supported him. He had the you know Lakers were number one, and he was playing more active before. You know, he went down with that ankle injury. You probably had him as number one or number two on your MVP ballot, right? And most people had him mm-hmm. at least in the top three, right, with Jokic and Embiid. And so it's like, am I really going to sit here and be like, okay, but within not just was there a drop-off because of age, and I actually just looked it up. He's played 50,000 regular season minutes, an additional 11,000 playoff minutes. So, you know, as much as 18 seasons, 20% extra on top of that for for playoffs, which is just ludicrous. But anyway... Is it is the drop off really going to happen this drastically in a two month span? When when like you said, there was not a major injury like a Kobe Achilles, uh, where you don't have something that you're actually pointing to as like, okay, not only was this happening, but it happened quick because of this. Like the the season Kobe tore his Achilles, he was averaging twenty seven or twenty eight a game that year. Like he was still kind of not quite peak of powers, but similar to LeBron in that he was still ninety percent of of his peak. And that brought it all the way down to the to what we saw at the end, which was him gunning on a very terrible Lakers team. I don't see that kind of drop off happening. And even in this series, you look at it and you're like, wow, he averaged twenty three eight and seven, but it was a it was a very hollow twenty three eight and seven, right, compared to what we're used to from him. Um, but I think you can't cannot be understated the seventy one day off season combined with the toll of playing through this COVID season, which of course everyone went through, but with LeBron, it's different because he had the ankle injury, tries to come back, you know, let's say the ankle injury happened in December. I don't think he would have come back as soon as he did, right? He had to get ready for the playoffs. And I think he just played before he was ready. And I don't expect this to be, it's not like I'm like, Hey, turn back the clock, show me 2016 LeBron or 2013 LeBron. But for him to have won a finals MVP eight months ago, and now we're saying he's done, just doesn't add up for me. He's not done. Like he's still going to average 25 a game next year, but I, I think he's just so much. I think he's going to be much easier to stop. I think a lot of what made him so unguardable, like his passing is always going to be there, but I just don't know if he's ever going to get the lift back. Like, I don't think it's just the ankle issue. I don't think he's ever going to get the bully ball style of play back. He can do it in spurts. I don't know if he can do it for a whole game. And but you're, you're talking about for a second. You're saying it's not just the ankle issue. So what else could it be when he was able to do that just last season? Well, the ankle issue exacerbated a lot of these issues, right? Like now it's it's just harder, and it was harder for him to recover from that. I don't know, man. I don't know how these athletes' bodies work. Um, all I know is drop offs can happen pretty quickly, injury or not injury. I think there's many cases across all sports where we see that. So. I, I, you're right. I, maybe we shouldn't be like, even I'm dancing on his grave right now, not dancing, like sadly crying on his grave, <laughs> just weeping <laughs> over Weep. top the tombstone. But, uh, I, I don't know. I'm just worried that like, you never know what's going to happen. Right. So next year we'll look back at this and be like, damn, after that injury, he was never the same. Right. And he kind of warned us too. He's and LeBron will say all kinds of yeah, things. To get I'm not, gonna, I'm not but, putting any stock into what he but said. What if he was right? What if he, he told right? us he's playing with tune squad this summer instead of the USA Olympic <laughs> team? But here's my thing, right? Like game two or game three, game three was it where he was doing the whole like kind of showing up Jay Crowder, like life was good, like they were going to roll and the Lakers were back. Three games later, suddenly the whole paradigm has shifted. Like this is where we get so caught up in like 
you know, okay, we have to record a podcast every week or a radio show. A guy has to talk for three hours every day. Like we did in the last two weeks, we did the uh, Clippers eulogy. Then we said the Clippers were going to smoke the Mavericks. Now they're facing elimination tonight. So my point is more that like things can't change that drastically in the big picture this this fast. And I don't believe that the Lakers are – sorry, I should say this. I don't think LeBron is done. I think next year I expect him fully to be the leading vote-getter and start in the All-Star game again and not just out of popularity. I expect it to be well-deserved. And where the Lakers go from here in terms of their championship window is the more interesting question to me because you have a team that, if you compare it versus last year's roster, that Danny Green, Dwight Howard, JaVel McGee, uh, a better version of KCP, Rajon Rondo, uh, all those dudes played pretty big roles for that team. And the way that they replaced them, a lot of people said, hey, this team is now better, right? Schroeder's an upgrade and, you know, Trez is six man of the year and all this stuff. And it just didn't work. So, in terms of zooming out and looking at the Lakers, like how do they get better? They're totally capped out and they, none of their shooters can shoot. And that is number one issue about building a team around LeBron is, is having that problem. Yeah. Their problem is really, they're going to have to just rely on hope AD stays healthy. And if AD stays healthy and LeBron's relatively healthy, they're always going to have a shot last year. I, I think the, the shooting thing is not last year. They didn't have amazing shooting. Danny green was not consistent for them. Uh, you had Rondo. And he would have streaks of shooting, but he was not a shooter. And you were playing Dwight, and like it's not like they had a bun, you know, an abundance of shooting last year and this year they didn't. I think their biggest problem is Kuzma is a shell of himself. He's not giving you anything. Schroeder is not reliable, and and it's weird. Schroeder has this, uh, he's really hesitant to shoot, uh, like especially on three pointers. Um, he always waits a split second and then decides to do it, or just doesn't take it, and. So as good as he can be, I think some of that, um, you know, hesitating is hurting their offense. And then, I don't know, these guys, Caruso, uh, KCP, they're just not dependable. Their guys will get you 8 to 10 a game, but you need role players who, who can pop off for 15 to 20. And it was always thought that Kuzma could be that guy, right? You need a role player with a relatively high ceiling, and they don't have anyone like that. So... When you're just getting 8 to 10 from all your role guys and then Anthony Davis is out or not playing well and LeBron's not playing well, you're not winning. You're struggling to score 90 points. So they're going to have to retool the bench a little bit. But I, I don't know. All these moves are on the fringe. They're not getting anyone really good. They're going to just have to swap out some of these shooters with more shooters and hope that they can find someone who's a little bit more consistent. But they can't do much. And the other thing is guys like Schroeder never play well next to LeBron because they're they're not team-oriented players. They're a little bit more selfish, but they don't have the talent, right? Like, if you think about his mindset, he thinks he's Kyrie, but he doesn't have Kyrie's skill set, <laughs> yep. right? And Kyrie can go get 30 one-on-one efficient basketball, and, and that in itself helps a team. And that's why those Cavs teams work so well. But if you're not that, and if you're trying to do your own thing, it's just never going to work within the ecosystem that has to be set up for LeBron's teams to be successful. And, you know, you know, I love social media related uh, drama, but apparently he removed Los Angeles Lakers point guard from his bio right before game six. So no, it's crazier than that. He removed it several hours before, uh added it back. And then removed it again, all before the game, all within oh, the same day. Wow! And so people were saying, "Is he trolling?" Just because he knows people are like reacting to it, and so he's pulling it back and forth. But how much does he regret turning down a four-year, eighty-four million-dollar extension with the playoffs he had? Man, and it's big time. And then the Lakers might have dodged a bullet. I don't know. You know, 
they may still sign him and use this as kind of to bargain his price down, but he was terrible, man. I'm gonna actually look horrible. at what his what his numbers ended up as because whatever they are, there it was worse than he averaged fourteen three and three and shot forty percent from the field, thirty percent from three. So yeah, that's a pretty anemic numbers for a guy who really was at times this season carried their offense right when Davis and and LeBron were out. They were okay. They they kind of like you know I know they ended up seventh because Dallas and Portland caught fire, but he he did all right, kind of holding the ship down. So let's talk Phoenix for a second because they hadn't been in the playoffs for thirteen years. Kind of a it's, it's sort of like a sister city years. of Sacramento. Sacramento eleven years. eleven years. Okay, sister franchise of Sacramento. You can guys both wallow in self pity together in Pacific Division, right? While the Lakers and Warriors dominated for years, and mm-hmm. now they're in. They got a playoff series win that they were not even favored to win, despite the fact that they were the two seed and were, I think, a game out of number one. Suddenly, with the way the Nuggets-Blazers series unfolded, right, they're going to see the Nuggets in round two. They're going to get MVP Jokic, but a backcourt of freaking Facundo, Compazzo, and and, uh, Austin Rivers. Conference finals and maybe beyond is starting to look very increasingly possible for this team. So... What'd you take away from everything you saw from Phoenix, including Booker and Aiton's ascension and whether we might see a true Chris Paul uh, at all in the playoffs or if he's always going to be this like 2011 Jason Kidd version now with this shoulder injury? I was wildly impressed. Like I, I think lost in all the Lakers, the the joy of the Lakers losing from, and LeBron losing is how good Phoenix has been. And they earned every, you know, win in the series and, um, I think the thing that stood out to me, first of all, Chris Paul was not himself, of course, but he did what he needed to do in the fourth quarters, where controlling the pace, especially this last game, game five or game six, where um, the lead got shrunk down to 10. It looked like the Lakers were making a run. Chris Paul steadied the offense, got a couple of buckets himself, generated some open looks, and that's all he needs to do moving forward. I don't think we're, I think campaign has taken a leap forward in a way I never imagined possible. And is consistent enough that he can shoulder a lot of those point guard minutes. And all they need Chris Paul to do is play 15 to 20 solid minutes where he's really running things. And I think they'll be fine. Uh, I mean, Dude, everyone on this that team is a bit of an up, over. Right? That's a bit of an overstretch to just be like, here, campaign. Here's the here are the car keys. No, hey, team, look, man. campaign is not. He's going to regress. I know. But my point is, like, they can be more confident in campaign shouldering some of those. Uh, like, if they need to give Paul a little bit more rest. The offense is not going to crater. Right? Like when yeah. LeBron sits down, the offense craters. Right? You don't have to worry about that. Um, yeah, and you don't have guards that were going to kill you, right? Like if they yeah. had played Portland, where suddenly they're dealing with Dame and CJ and Norm Powell for basically all forty-eight minutes, then it's a different situation. They actually match up well, right, with with uh, Denver in that they can throw a bunch of long wings at Michael Porter Jr. Like Michael Porter Jr. was being guarded by Norm Powell, who he has seven inches on, right? He was just shooting with ease. But now you have Mikel Bridges, you have Jay Crowder, you have Cam Johnson, you have Torrey Craig. There's a different set of wings. And then, you know, Jokic is, I mean, it's incomparable what he's doing right now. I don't I don't know that Aiton's going to have much luck against him. But they have to just match their minutes together and hope it, yeah. to God Aiden stays out of foul trouble. I think they match up well. Aiden Aiden showed his own against Anthony Davis. And Jokic is a different beast, obviously, and you're going to have to play him very differently. But 
you know, you've got a big wings. You got Jay Crowder. You guys, you have guys who can kind of front Jokic up uh, in the high post if needed, and drop Aiden back, right? So you're not going to get. You can leave Aiden for that rim protection. Sometimes you're not going to get killed by all these back cuts. Um, and I think they, they just know, like after playing LeBron and seeing how they defended LeBron and all the shooters, like the thing that stuck out to me most about this series was just how crisp and tight the Suns' rotations on defense were. Like, you know, the Lakers missed shots fine, but they were struggling to get any open looks from three. And they bottled up LeBron and didn't allow him to kind of, you know, do the drive and kick game he likes to do. And I think, I mean, the Nuggets don't play the exact way, but, you know, you have Jokic in the high post and they're st- the Nuggets still rely on a bunch of shooting. They rely on MPJ getting hot. They rely on a, a bunch of guys, you know, Austin Rivers hitting big time threes. And you can <laughs> he limit was a some 10 day contract guy, dude. Yeah. <laughs> It's it's unreal how much Compazzo and Rivers, uh, how many minutes they're getting. So they're like Denver's not as scary. Um, Jokic, of course, is going to be a unique beast, but I think they're. It's just going to be so much easier for them to play defense. And so the problem like, will be the problem will be Aiden's foul trouble. I'm telling you because they don't have a backup center. They were playing Dario Saric as backup or yeah. Frank Kaminsky. Like Jokic is going to feast. Yeah, the fact that Kaminsky guys. was getting minutes was I I could not believe it. He was on and, the just and that the out. Lakers couldn't make them pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, people murder those guys. That's the only thing. That's the only route that they have to win Denver is if they can get Aiden into early foul trouble. And so, like, for example, I think was it uh, three out of six games, Nurkic fouled out, and he had, uh, I think, an average of five fouls per game. And to be honest, if you look at the on-off ratings, when they had Nurkic, they were plus. And then when they put Cantor or, God, Rondé Hollis-Jefferson or Carmelo or Covington, they got murdered. And that's really where the series tipped. And I think Denver's going to have that exact same philosophy, like, over and over again, like, a bunch of post-touches, like, initiating contact. It's the only way. As they should. As they should. And that's their only hope. And, and I think Jokic is going to have an amazing series. I, this team, this Denver team, like, I don't know if they have enough it's to bizarre. keep up offensively. Um, if they if they make the conference finals starting those two guards, like you have to do something than just give MVP to Jokic. You got to do something more. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, don't, I don't know what it is, but maybe you got to go back to Bill Simmons' like forty pound MVP trophy theory or oh, something. Yeah. But it, it's like even last night they were down fifteen, right? And some of this is on the Blazers, right, for just poor execution guarding nobody. I, they, they don't even try on defense. It's it's kind of incredible. Like neither team was playing any defense all series. So just he brings them back. He had 20 in the third and over and over again, we're like, this isn't going to translate or this isn't going to work or they found a way to stop him or, you know, he's limited if you do this. And it just nothing matters with him. And unlike other guys of his type of unselfishness, like, a, you know, I'm going to compare it to guards because guards are the only ones who pass like he does. But, you know, when you force Steve Nash to become a scorer or you force Chris Paul to become a scorer, they struggled sometimes, right? But if you need to get him, if he needs to get 40 or if he needs to get a triple-double or if he needs to get both or anywhere in between, he like, it's all in his bag. And that's, I don't know that I've ever seen this other than from like a LeBron maybe. And Jokic has always been about that. He's always had these skill sets, but we've never seen them. They've all peaked this season. Um, his passing is better than it's ever been. His scoring is ever better than it's ever been. His um, playmaking. And I think he, he's now, I, I, I look at him as one of those unstoppable players. And there's only a handful of those in the league. Guys who, no matter what you do, 
they're going to make their offense score, whether it's through themselves or whether it's through their teammates. Guys like LeBron, Luka, Jokic. Like, there's only a handful. And we've always known Jokic was great, but I had never known he could bur- uh, uh, shoulder the scoring burden. I, that used to be my criticism of the Nuggets a couple of years ago. I used to say that mm-hmm. it, they need Jamal Murray to go for 40 or 50 to some in some games, right? Because Jokic isn't doing that. But clearly, he he can. And so I think in, in some ways, it's been... Um, uh, it's been a revelation seeing what Jokic is able to do. And, and I don't think we can discount him even in this series. Because like you said, the, the big depth for Phoenix is definitely their, their biggest issue. Yeah. And and Aiden did a pretty good job not getting into early foul trouble against the Lakers. Because um, that was a worry too. Like if you get Aiden a couple fouls early, like what are you going to do with Anthony Davis? But um, So you got to hope that he doesn't do the same against uh, against Denver. I'm starting, uh, you were on this earlier, but the stats right now are so extreme that it's almost not worth paying attention to. But the way him and him and MPJ were both 40, 50, 90 guys this series, Jokic was 33, 11, and 5 on 53, 43, 92. So I don't know what to say to that. That's just another level of brilliance against a team who knew that he was their only option. So... Um, let's quickly touch on Portland before we talk about, uh, I think Clippers Mavs is the last round one series, but Portland, I mean, at what point do they stop trying to convince themselves that this Dame CJ Terry Stotts trio works as long as they add pieces around it? Because we talked about this several months ago. It's like Covington has been on five different teams. There's a reason for that. He's not going to put you over the edge. Like Derek Jones for the mid level didn't even play in this series. They're still relying on Carmelo. They're still relying on guys like Enos Cantor, who've been proven, you know, to be played off the court in the playoffs. And Dame to lose a game where he goes for fifty-five and ten—that's very, very hard to do. So, what what does Portland do from here? Is, is it full nuclear, like let's get rid of everyone, or is it let's try one more version of retooling uh, before you know we really pull the plug? Nuclear trade CJ, um, fire starts and and rebuild a little bit uh not total rebuild rebuild in a way that keeps them competitive now i don't know what you get for cj to be honest um i think his value has dropped uh but i i just don't and i've said this so many times like i they people were talking about this roster being the best uh supporting cast dame has had and he's gone through so many versions of the supporting cast and every year this team's ceiling is capped now, I'm not going to put that on Dame. Obviously, Dame is an incredible player. He did it. That last game where he dropped 55, he did it. Or not the last game, the game before the last game, that game five. He did everything you could ask a, a player to do. And the only times Portland couldn't score in the crunch time were when it wasn't him with the hand, his hands on the bottle. So I, I think they need to just – the only way they can go nuclear with the assets they have is trade CJ. Um, maybe give him some picks and just go all in on making sure Dame has what he needs to be competitive over the next couple of years because uh, running this back another year is not going to get you anywhere with the way the West is looking. So when you say nuclear, I think trade Dame. Like, because I agree with you that CJ's value, unfortunately, because he was having his best season of his career earlier in the year before he broke his foot. So is that in a thought you'd entertain? Like, no. he's going to eventually, not because he, not because you think that you're ever going to find a player of his stature, but maybe he asks out, or maybe you say, okay, we're not going to, 
be able to get more leverage than we ever are for him right now. And we're not going to win a title with him as our best player. So we have to redo something. If he asks out, that's a different story, right? But I, Dame is still such an incredible talent that, and with a small, uh, with a team like Portland, where you're not the getting the cream of the crop free agents, I just run it a couple more years, and if it doesn't work, it doesn't work. You know that's fine. But he's such a beloved guy there, and he's done so much for that franchise. Unless he asks for it, I don't. I think they should just try to retool. But I just think they need to be more aggressive. Like. They've planted their flag on CJ and Dame being the, the two top guys on this team. And I think you have to realize that this two guards being your best players are not going to work. It didn't work for Washington with Beal and and Wall, who were both amazing players. And they and even in a crappy East, they topped out at, what, fourth seed, fifth seed in one yeah, season? Yeah, and yeah. no, it's true. And especially if neither play defense like they do in Portland. Yeah, and, and neither play defense. And, and so... And guard defense is overrated to begin with. So even if they are good defenders, I'm not sure it necessarily makes it that successful either. Well, Their the question is, why did it work in why did it work in uh, in Golden State? Just because those guys are generational shooters. Well, Curry's a generational player. I don't even think of him as a, a traditional point guard, right? Okay, um, and it worked in Houston too, right? With the Chris Paul James Harden pairing. They Harden, I mean, another generational player. Fair, you can win with two guards, but like that that Houston team, even without Chris Paul, with James Harden, was a was like a one seed, or four, or maybe not a yeah. one seed, but they were also like they a, were yeah. I mean, those guys seed. are, and I think that you you hit on a good point, which is like you cannot <laughs> mirror team building approaches to teams that have guys that you don't have. Yeah, and in the NBA, at any given time, there's only five to seven players that matter on their own that are system agnostic, that are supporting cast agnostic, like. You look at the freaking team that the Dallas Mavericks have around Luka, and they're terrible. Like, when I say terrible, I mean, for a team that has a player as good as Luka who could win a championship right now, like, your next best player is Porzingis, who, as tall and skilled as he is, looks clueless and just kind of, like, out of place all the time. And then you have guys who are very streaky, Tim Hardaway Jr., Jalen Brunson, like good players, good role players. They should be your fifth and sixth, seventh guys, but they're third, fourth, fifth here. So I think you cannot say, hey, it worked for Dallas. Why can't it work for us? It's like, well, Dame isn't Luka, unfortunately, right, as good as he yep. is. Or John yep. Wall or Bradley Beal, they're not as good as James. They're not James Harden. They're not in that class. That's why it didn't work. Yeah, so – you can't exactly what you said. And, and when you're talking about those guys, they're top five players. Um, Harden's a top five player. Steph's a top five player. Um, so I don't know, man. I, I don't know what Poland does, but I think they need to do. I th- let me ask you this Terry Stotts, like, I think he had a terrible series. And I think he revamped his defense this season because Portland's always been kind of a, a bad defensive team. And that's been their Achilles heel, too, in the playoffs every year. <laughs> I mean, they were – it was just unexplainable what they were doing on defense sometimes during the series. And, yes, part of it is your CJ and Dame are your your top stars and guards, and they can't play defense, really, and they're undersized. But they have, they have some pieces, right? They have decent wings now. They have decent players. I think schematically, I don't know – I think Stotts is just over his head now in terms of these playoff games, and I think they need to just find a new coach. And maybe that's one solution. Maybe you – you keep CJ retool a little bit and just get a new coach. But at the very least, I think Stotts might have to go. Yeah. I mean, even their wing depth was overrated because Covington's a better off ball defender than he is on ball. So he wasn't exactly locking anyone up. And then, 
and you're playing Carmelo big minutes. You're playing Carmelo. It's like, what are we doing here? Like, Carmelo is a nice story. I'm glad he found a role and, you know, the team had to use for him. But, dude, like, if he's still playing crunch time in 2021, like, you're dead, right? Um, So, yeah, I'm interested to see. I think Portland, you know, there's a lot of teams that are going to answer a lot of questions. We didn't even talk about Boston and the uh, insanity that took place there earlier this week with uh, Brad Stevens moving up to Danny Ainge's job. But there's a lot of teams with really big roster questions that are surrounded by one elite or potentially elite player, right? I look at Boston with Tatum. I look at, you know, Portland with Dame. Even even uh, Dallas, let's say they lose this series, right? They're going to have a lot of questions about what to do around Luka. And you take a team that didn't make the playoffs, like uh, the Pelicans, right? What are they doing around Zion? What are, what are the Wizards doing around Beal? Like, there are guys that... Maybe Beal's not quite that tier, but there are guys that are top 15, top 20 in the league who, with the right nucleus, could compete for a championship, like the way the Jazz have done around Mitchell and Gobert. But you look at those situations and how exactly do they get better, and it's not clear. And that's really scary for a team who, sure, you have your player on a max deal and they're not going anywhere, but everyone knows the clock is ticking, right? And mm-hmm. and if you don't do something, we've seen in this era, guys will take it into their own hands. And so... Very interested to see how that plays out in at least four or five different situations around the league. And I mentioned Luca. Of course, the Clippers are number one on that list if, if this goes south. So should we talk Clippers Mavs now? Yeah, let's, let's go do it. There. So there's no answer for Luka Doncic. Um, he struggled a bit in game four. You think about it. They were up 2-0, right, and up 30-11 to in game three. I would have bet any amount of money that that series was over. Paul George, Kawhi Leonard were fantastic in games three and four. They come back. But again, you look at it last night, and they're guarding Luka with five, six, seven different players, and none of it's really working. And it kind of comes down to if the Mavericks supporting cast hit shots, it's a wrap. And if they don't, it's really the only way that the Clippers can can survive because their defense is a mess. Uh what 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 were your kind of primary takeaways so far? Now we're game six is tonight. Uh, I, that's exactly what I, you know. You can't stop Luca. Luca's going to get his, and you got to hope the shooters don't stay hot. And um, you know, even even the last game, I think it was close towards the end, and then Porzingis hits a three. Tim Hardaway Jr. hits a wild three. <laughs> and there's a certain point you just you got to just give your, your tip your hat off to that to the Mavs, and you're not going to beat that. Now, I think the Clippers can still win this series. I don't think they're done. I think this last game, there were some promising signs. They they didn't get a big game out of Kawhi. Kawhi slowed down a bit, but that was to be expected. And they got some more contributions out of the rest of their supporting cast. It was a more kind of all-around team game. They, their problem is that they just need to... They need Paul George or Kawhi to kind of go nuclear in one of these games and still get kind of the support from the rest of the team. And, and the problem is the Clippers don't work like that. The Clippers are either they're kind of sharing the ball a little bit better and being intentional about it, or it's just the Kawhi and Paul George ISO show. And they haven't found the right blend of, of how to play with, with all that. And so, but I still think that Dallas's shooting is not sustainable. I mean, they only need to win one more game. But I think if the Clippers win today, you get into a game seven, you get into late time, late game crunch situations, I'm still picking Kawhi over Luka in that situation. Are you really? I am. I, Just I because... Luka was not good in game in fourth quarter on Wednesday. Huh? 
Luca wasn't good down the stretch on Wednesday. That's the only reason he wasn't good down the stretch. And I'm not going to hold it against him because he was also pretty gassed uh, from carrying their offense throughout that game. Um, Like he was visibly gassed, right? I just think Kawhi, it's much easier for Kawhi to get a bucket than it is for Luca to get. Luca has a step back three, but what do you have more confidence in? Luca's step back three or Kawhi's mid range kind of pull up? Yeah, I mean, look, I think. And so all I'm saying is, all I'm saying is that they need to win game six and then game seven. If it's close, I would still take the Clippers as much as I love Luka. The problem is, in terms of like Kawhi going nuclear, that happens multiple times this series. In game two, he had 30 in the first half and they ended up losing. So the worry I have. That's not nuclear. 30 is not. Or 30 in the first half, sorry. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, But how much did he end up with? I think like 40, maybe uh, 42 or something. The, the, the issue I have right now with the Clippers is, and this has been my problem with day one from them. It's why are they not like, what does it take to ratchet up the intensity and actually give a shit, right? Like you can't saunter anymore. This is the playoffs. Like it's like, do they want to compete for a title or do they not? Cause if they don't and they just want to look cool and cash checks and that's fine. Right. We know the intensity is not going to be brought from either Paul George or Kawhi. They're just not wired like that. The problem is everyone else on the team that could be in that role sucks, namely Patrick Beverly. He's out of the rotation now. Reggie Jackson, I mean, I can't, like, obviously pass. Serge Ibaka's hurt, right? Maybe he has some veteran leadership. He's gone. Marcus Morris, yeah, he can jaw at people, but as he gets blown by Luke, Luke every single possession, it's not like his words are going to carry much weight. There's no one on this team that can hold anyone accountable there's no one on this team that's like going to elevate the play around them they thought rondo was going to do that and rondo's been pretty solid for them but you know he's out here shooting pull-up threes and the the whole thing is it's just a mess it's like i I really i'm not saying that they won't win this series hell maybe they win it and maybe they go out and beat utah next round i don't know but nothing i've seen so far has proven that has the championship medal you need uh, to make it through four rounds, things go up, things go down. Like it doesn't feel like they know what it takes. And as much as Kawhi is a two-time champion, he hasn't brought that to this team as the number one guy to do so. He's all, we knew it. We know he's been supported. We've talked about this. He's been supported by veterans and other leaders. Now that he's had to do it, it's just not working. And you look at you look at Kawhi and you look at Luca and you say, who would you rather trust? You said Kawhi. I go Luca. Because I think Luca no, gives no, a no. shit more. Hold on. I trust Luca. I'm talking about in a tied game, game seven. I, I, look, I don't I hate Kawhi more what does than that mean? most people. What that mean what I'm saying is that when Kawhi needs to get a bucket at the end of a game seven, you know, we're talking about Kyrie game seven finals, right? These situations are very different. Like when you're talking about game seven, Kawhi, I rely more on him getting a good shot. Luca is gonna take that step back three, or he's gonna, you know, drive and kick. And then you're going to have to hope one of the Mavericks hit the shot, right? It's the conundrum with LeBron, but LeBron can actually get to the rim and has that part of his game. Luca, it's, it's, look, as amazing as Luca is, I'm still not betting on him against Kawhi in the tied possession of a game seven. Throughout the game, yes, I'd rather have Luca. I'm talking about if it gets close at the very end. Well, we it doesn't saw matter who's on the rest of your team at that we point. We literally saw what Kawhi did. He airballed a three when he had like eight seconds left. On the clock, it, yeah, that was terrible. I saw that. That they, I don't know what what they were doing even on that play. Um, but okay, look, I to your point about the the roster construction, it clearly is flawed. One thing I did like is I like Terrence Mann just because he gave them a jolt of energy. Um, like 
and Terrence Mann made some boneheaded mistakes down the stretch, including that when he passed up on the layup to kind of pass it to Batum, and then Batum missed the bunny. I don't know if you remember near the end of the game. Yes, yeah. And then, um, yeah, the man drive. Yes. That right. was when it was 110, 100, or 110, 111, or something like that. But the, the fun thing about Mann was that he, he still plays with this frenetic energy that I don't see from the rest of that roster. Like, these guys are just, there's no intensity, there's no urgency. And and I I do blame that on Kawhi. I think it's it's it is also to blame on the personalities on that roster. Like Reggie Jackson's never been known to be that guy. Batum has been accused of loafing in Charlotte. But as Kawhi, as your leader, you you need to set that tone for your team. And you know I I, I just think that's an indictment on Kawhi. I don't care what his numbers look like at the end of the season or at the end of the series. This team is still good enough, talented enough to get past the first round. And if they can't do that, then that says something about. Your two stars. I'm willing to eat crow next week, but it's a wrap tonight, in my opinion. Um, Dallas at home. They've lost their first two games at home. I know the Clippers lost three games now at home, so it's not like it's unprecedented, but I just think Luca's going to say goodnight to the Clippers. He knows he's got the, his foot on the throat, and he's a natural-born killer, and it's over. And I think Porzingis actually shows out and has a good game with him and Boban as the new front line. That <laughs> take that analytics. Um <laughs> You can't even get to that sentence without laughing. Boban and they were see they were decent though, and they played that zone and kind of like befuddled the Clippers. And maybe they come back with adjustments, but I thought that um, you know Boban's one of those guys that's so goofy it almost just feels like the dude that they always chant for at the end of the games and blowouts. And then you look like up Taco and you Fall have, in Boston, exactly. And you look up and you also have like twelve points in fifteen minutes, and he's like decently productive. So he'll give you good uh, minutes. I look. I'm rooting hard. I'd love for this Clippers team to implode. I would love for people to stop talking about Kawhi as a top player. But and, you know, I say this as I said, Kawhi is going to hit a winner, game winner over Luca in Game Seven. I just I, this Clippers team. I don't know. Maybe I have too much faith in, in Kawhi and Paul George. I, I don't see them giving up this Game Six. But maybe those guys aren't built like that. Like they just if they might fold. Who knows? It's so funny because like the Lakers and LeBron fans like. Literally nothing gives them more joy than the Clippers just like imploding after the whole, you know, we're going to take LA like campaign a couple years ago, but now they are also at, you yeah. know, they were in a round one loss. So it's almost like you don't know what you want to choose from because you've imploded and you're now rooting for this other team to implode, but those jokes won't hit as much after, you know, they lost. Yeah. Sun, so. Yeah. The battle of LA is happening in Cancun. That's what I, I saw. Adam Silver has lost the Celtics, the Lakers, Maybe the Clippers. Maybe uh, he lost Steph Curry. Um, he lost the Knicks. Promise for one of the greatest playoff runs in terms of TV ratings and money, and now it's Utah versus Milwaukee in the NBA Finals. Yeah, and and the Nets are no one even likes the Nets. So yeah, even though nobody, they have three stars, it's nobody like, likes the Nets, and they have no fans. So <laughs> let's quickly th- th- talk. Look, bro- this is this is good for the league in the sense that it's a win for small market teams. I, I'm always about wins for small market teams, but it's not good for the league in terms of uh, with the ratings and with the, already they're facing issues with um, the ratings being down, people complaining about the quality of product. And so I, I don't know, like what if we have Utah versus Milwaukee in the finals, that is going to be good basketball, but it's good basketball. Like, do we win? Do we lose? I don't know. Like two smaller okay. markets. Let me ask you. I'm glad you brought this up because I meant to ask you this. Why? And I know we talked about it in one of the several conversations we've had about TV ratings, but why do we as fans care? I I care. 
Like I want my thing, which is the NBA to be big. I just like want it to be popular and loved and all this stuff. But why do I actually care? I don't know. I can't put, I, I can't get around understanding that. Because the popularity of the sport matters. Um, For what reason? Like, it's not like they're going to take it off of national TV. How do you know? What do you mean, how do I know? Dude, they put freaking, like, cornhole on national TV. You think, like, the NBA would have to, like, I'm talking the variance that would have to take place for the NBA to, like, meaningfully lose uh, any type of television access or us to lose, like, ability to watch the games at the frequency we do. I mean, that would have to be drastic. Well, here's the other worry, right? When the popularity drops quite a bit, then drastic changes get made to the product and and the rule changes get made. They start doing weird things. And that's, you don't want, you want the game to exist as it is with obviously minor tweaks to keep it, make it better. But the moment basketball gets, it's not popular enough is when you start taking the sport in a completely different direction. And we've seen that with, with baseball and hockey in certain ways, like hockey, made some pretty drastic changes. I think everyone kind of looked upon them as favorably, but, but hockey fans, I think are more, or they're, I don't know. They're not tied to the history of the game and they're more open to doing things like widening the um, goalposts and stuff like that. Right. Could you imagine the NBA like dropped the rim height to nine feet, like as a corollary, but I know they won't do that. But my point is the worry is that if the sport isn't popular, drastic changes get made, maybe teams fold, you shrink the league. Like, there's a lot of bad things that could happen. I just feel like the level of which the popularity would have to decline, especially when you think about all the international revenue and, like, the online revenue from, like, League Pass that would have to, I mean, you know, yes, it's true, right? Contraction is something that could happen. But the NHL is freaking expanding. They have 32 teams. Like, I just think it's very, very unlikely that anything like that in the realm of possibility for the NBA whether or not people like are thrilled about the product. And look, the product isn't that good right now in the sense of like the way the games go in terms of how long they take, the reviews, like the stylistic, uh, you know, homogeneity of, of the game. Is that a nice word? But if yeah, I said it, it right, is, it is. Um, um, like everyone shooting threes and doing the same thing, like I get that. That in itself, I don't know if it's the cause of decline in ratings or if it's just, you know, Maybe there are things that they do, like they add a four-point shot or they get rid of corner threes, and then it does kind of ruin the integrity. The problem is the NBA is one to try it versus the NFL, who just like, hey, this is what we do. We're not going to screw with things too much. So I don't yeah. know. So it might it might be overblown. I think why ratings have become more of a thing recently is because it's become politicized, right? Um, when the ratings are down, we see the right and conservatives try to use it as a reason that, hey, look, when you talk about Black Lives Matter, no one wants to see that. No one wants to see the rate. Like, that has become closely tied to the narrative around ratings falling. And then, obviously, as, as you know, we are liberal, and obviously we are in support of a lot of these movements, we're going to push back and say that has nothing to do with it. So I think the ratings have become politicized because 10 years ago, or five years ago, I didn't care what Nobody ratings. talked about it. Like, yeah. out, now it's like a flag you want to plant. Um, on your side of the fence, right? Where it's like, yep. hey, Black Lives Matter, and therefore that's led to good TV ratings. And the other side's like, that shit is a scam, and that's why nobody's watching your stupid yep. league. And it's like this debate that that is like the the symbolic gesture or symbolic nature of the ratings really represents your views on all of these social issues, which is just kind of a bizarre way to evaluate a sport uh, that's intended for entertainment purposes. 
yeah, the other the other thing though is that NBA fans have an inferiority complex with NFL fans. Like for some reason, there's NBA fans want basketball to be the reigning sport in America for whatever reason, right? I don't know why it matters, like you say, but and there's always this, you know, weird conflict between if you even look on RNBA or NFL, like the NFL fans are always trashing the NBA. Uh, and the NBA will never beat the popularity. 82-game seasons, they all whine. You know, it's not like football where we're all men and all this, right? And then mm-hmm. NBA fans do the same where it's like, the NFL is such a backwards league. You have all these old owners, right? You have Colin Kaepernick and the NBA is more progressive. And so I, there is this weird, like I argue about this with my brother all the time. My brother's a big NFL fan. I'm a big NBA fan. And we get to these weird arguments. It's like, why does it matter? I don't know. But NBA fans definitely have an inferiority complex. That totally. Uh, that, I mean, I do too. I, even though I do love the NFL, I do too, uh, because I just feel like there's so many things that the NFL should get dinged on, and they don't because people just love football and they love yep. that sport and the way it's, you know, the 16, or 17 games now and that that whole thing. And it's like, oh well, there's 82 games. Who gives a shit? Like that's too long. Blah blah blah. And so I get that. I think it's. But I think a lot of that is nominal, right? Like whether or not you have an inferiority complex or whatever, it's not like the ratings moving here and there. Like when the play-in ratings came announced and they were awesome, I was like super excited. It was like the most watched game since the 2019 finals uh, with yep. Lakers-Warriors. But I don't know why I cared whether that was the case or not. I, I, maybe maybe you're right. Maybe because more bad news leads to longer ramif- or bigger ramifications that end up changing the way we consume the game or you know the rules or whatever it is and that's that's ultimately the problem and i don't know what those ramifications are but it looms right like what if something happens that it's like the unknown unknown evil that's what's scary um okay that was a very long tangent all to get us back to brooklyn milwaukee um which is the most anticipated round two matchup in not just this season but i would argue in many many years um because you don't usually see, you know, potentially, especially with Embiid's injury, you don't necessarily see the two best teams maybe left in the whole uh, league playing in round two. So we talked about this briefly because we knew we were headed here uh, for a week or two now. But where are you with this series now based on how Brooklyn, you know, you know, basically took care of Boston and then, of course, uh, Milwaukee sweeping Miami? We were always destined for this in the second round. What's changed since watching the first round is I think Milwaukee has overcome that mental hurdle. Not the mental hurdle, but they've they've kind of slayed their demons. And if this Miami team was a shell of the team last year, fine. But it still was impressive what they're able to do with Jimmy Butler, what they're able to do uh, offensively against a Heat team that's known for being pretty solid at defense. Uh, I don't know, man. I still pick Brooklyn to win this, this series because... I just think watching them and when you go possession by possession, it's just how do you keep up with that much offense? You can talk about Brooklyn's defense. You can talk about how Milwaukee can exploit, you know, um, the, the lack of front court depth for Brooklyn with, with Giannis. You can talk about how the, you know, I can talk about Holiday and Giannis pick and rolls, whatever. You can talk about how good Milwaukee is, but it's going to come down to in any close game, there's just the, the, probability of Brooklyn scoring in any given possession is always extremely high. And the only thing that's going to stand in their way is themselves. And so I picked Brooklyn to win the series, but I think it's going to be six or seven. I think it's going to be a slugfest. I think Milwaukee's going to give them a fight. But I just find it hard to believe that they're going to be able to keep up 
uh, in, in these close games. Yeah, and look, I don't know that I ever imagined Durant to get back to these heights post-Achilles tear, but he's the best player in the world. Um, I feel pretty comfortable saying that. I know his job is way easier when James Harden and Kyrie Irving and Joe Harris and all these guys are surrounding him, but like he is unstoppable on the court. Like getting to his spots, even like game five, he started out pretty slow, took only like three or four shots in the first quarter. I know because I bet him to have 30 points and a win, but um <laughs> was kind of missing some of the mid-range jumpers that he always makes. But at the end of the game, he's 50% from the field, you know, 40% from three, and I've hit all his free throws. And it's like, that's over and over. That's all he does. And he scores between 25 and 35 points, grabs six to 10 rebounds, you know, four to six assists every single time. And his consistency at that type of performance is, I mean, it's the fulcrum that makes the whole thing run in Brooklyn as much as it's James Harden's offense, so to speak. Uh, and then you talk about Harden, who's locked in on another plan. He's just unbelievable right now. Like, you put these toys around him, and it's game over, right? So I get all that. And their defense has been solid. Like, it's been good. I know they were playing, like, a one-man team in, in Boston and Tatum. Yeah. But especially given the rate at which they score at, if you take the ball from under the basket, it is so much harder to score in half court than it is in transition. And they don't turn the ball over much. They don't miss many shots. And, like, they're playing such good offense offense that it's converting to a pretty stout defense uh and that's going to be the big big question mark in this milwaukee series can they continue to score at that kind of clip and allow you know not allow milwaukee to get in transition get Giannis rolling for some dunks because we know he struggles to score in the half court it was the same thing against miami it just so happened that they were hitting threes from everywhere um so it's going to be a f- obviously a fun series, like you said. I think, like I told you last week, I think if Drew can at least bother Kyrie enough that it becomes a two-headed monster and not three, yep. I think Milwaukee has a really, really good shot to win this. Um, it's going to be in six or seven, probably seven if they win. Yep. Um, but I think it's possible because Giannis has not been proven. They have no answer for Giannis the way yep. that uh, the Miami did with Butler and Bam. Yeah, they don't. And and Jeff Green is he is he coming back? I don't know what his status is. He he got a nice little bit of rest here, but I don't know if he's going to be be there because he's he's weirdly important in terms of their kind of playing that four for them. And I know mm-hmm. they got Blake and um, you know Claxton obviously, and I don't know if DeAndre Jordan's going to get any minutes uh, in this series, but they might have to dust him off right uh, given the size of Milwaukee. So th- there are concerns for Brooklyn defensively. I, at the end of the day, it's a math problem. I, or not a math problem, but when you are a really good offensive team, what do you want? You want more possessions. And Brooklyn is dictating – they were dictating the pace. They're playing at a high you know, rate, scoring a lot. That's what you want when you're a good offensive team. If Milwaukee, you think if they want to win, they might need to slow the game down. Limit the number of possessions. But the problem is when you slow the game down, you make it a more half-court game uh, – what are the Nets – who do they have to play in the half court? They've got some of the best isolation scores, right? This isn't slowing yeah. down a high-paced offense that can only score in the flow of transition or, you know, by the ball popping around the perimeter. They can play half court. They can play at, like, any pace. And so that that's the reason. When you can't even dictate the pace at which your opponent plays and having that matter, it, it's just hard. And so I, I think it's going to be a close series because there are a lot of matchup problems Brooklyn will have defensively. But when you just talk about one team's points versus the other team's points, I just don't see Brooklyn scoring less. 
Yeah, I mean, look, I think the reason why Milwaukee has a real shot is because they don't have to trade offense for defense the way like a Philadelphia does with Ben Simmons or Matisse Tybel or even Danny Green, right? Like their best defenders in Milwaukee are also their best offensive players, and I think that's crucial. So they're not sacrificing scoring. They're not sacrificing shooting or ISO creation uh, with Giannis, Drew, and Middleton. And you can even throw Tucker in there who – I think may resurrect uh, himself quite mm-hmm. a bit in this series played well in it's Miami, but they ended up going bigger versus Miami and playing a lot more Brooke Lopez. So I think, you know, if that involves Deandre Jordan being dusted off, like you said, that's a huge win for Milwaukee. Uh, if speed, if not speedy Claxton, Nick Claxton gets in foul trouble or Blake can't control uh, Giannis, then they might have to go to Deandre. And this is yep. where you wish you still had Jared Allen. Of course you wouldn't have Harden then. So that's a worthwhile trade-off, but that's, that's the the piece that I think really needs to be Milwaukee's strength is bludgeoning yeah. them down low and then getting open three point shooters because of that. And and Milwaukee's not going to have Divincenzo, um, for this yeah. series, right? But he and so he's not and, great, but he does make everyone have to move up one spot in the rotation. Yeah, he mentioned, and, and then the and then Bryn Forbes has been getting a lot of minutes, and I don't know how much he's going to be able to be played because he's a defensive liability, right? So I, they're deep. I'm not worried about their depth. But, I, you know, after a couple of these guys go down and then all of a sudden, you know, Connaughton's not having a good game or I don't know who else on their roster, um, you have less bench depth and, and less yeah. margin for error when some of these guys start to go down. I'm not thrilled with Pat Connaughton playing a big role in a playoff yeah. series, right? <laughs> and, and, right? And Forbes, as much as a, of a flamethrower as he was versus Miami – can he? He can't guard Kyrie, so we know that wouldn't be the matchup. But could he guard Joe Harris? I don't know. Like he's a good bit shorter than Joe Harris, and they're gonna run pick and rolls where Joe Harris gets to pick and pop, and suddenly you could switch Forbes onto like a Kyrie or Harden, and then you're toast anyway. So I can't wait, man. Like game two is tomorrow night, and like this is the series that this whole year, and like I know things are different now. Like a lot of teams that we thought were gonna be there are not. This is the one. Uh, especially if Embiid's knee is not is not healthy, which how how exactly could a torn meniscus be day to day? Can you explain that to me? No, I, I, I... is that just them <laughs> gassing it up so that nobody knows how injured he really is? It's a is? slight tear, so I don't know the the difference right between full tear, slight tear, but it's a slight tear, so I don't know if that helps. But it's also kind of ad, right? They were saying a lot of people said the groin strain is a multiple week injury. They put him as day to day. He came back, played, and clearly didn't look right. So, uh, I'm not. I'm not saying that same thing will happen to Embiid. But I'm saying we just don't know how soon. Also, is this too risky? Because I was like, why wouldn't knowing that the Hawks were out? You know, they outclassed the Knicks that whole series, right? So going into Game Five, you knew there was a very good chance it was over. Why wouldn't the Sixers throw Game Six, like go throw Game Five? Excuse me, like literally play only their back back end of the bench versus the Wizards. Wait, what? Like, I'm not following your logic. They had to give Embiid more time to rest. Now the series starting because they're both done. Dude, you can't, dude. You literally, what? That is absurd. You can't. Why? If you throw away game, like, what if you get in a situation You think the, wi- the Washington Wizards and Scott Brooks are going to be the first team to ever come back from a 3-0 deficit? Dude, you never know. Are you kidding me? That's uh, we know. With, we oh know. My, can you imagine if they end up losing because of that? 
the it honestly I thought they were trying to do that because they were playing especially in game four like Simmons didn't come I think Simmons ended up under 30 minutes same with Tobias Harris I thought they were trying to actively lose there's a difference between okay pulling you guys back when you see the game is out of hand and just conceding the loss to outright trying to lose a game just to extend the series and give Embiid more time that logic makes no sense because the Wizards get hot one you let it go to six they got hot one game all of a sudden you're in the game seven like that's playing with fire man you can't do that you and you know worst case what you go into game one without Embiid against Atlanta I'd rather drop that go down 0-1 and get him the extra rest than do that in the first round and potentially get yourself into hot water playing against the Wizards I think I just think that like the Wizards are not good. Also, this isn't a team that was like, hey, maybe we're gonna end up like competing, and therefore you can't take these chances. I would do it. I would have sat everyone, lost game five, and then come back and won game six. It's fine. You're crazy. No team would ever ever do that. Well, maybe more people five. should think like me because now they're yeah. gonna have Embiid likely out for game one, maybe even game two. You live with that, man. Injury, injuries suck, but you can't be throwing a game in the middle of a series assuming you're still going to win. Like, how, 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 what lot? Like, I don't understand that logic whatsoever. That's a free game for the Wizards. Now you're what three two. You're three two, but you you're so much better than this team that it's not going to even matter. And then you're not going to lose a game seven at home, dude. Russell Westbrook will lose that for himself. Like, Do you want to no... let it go to chance? But, dude, like game seven, you never know, man. It's, it's I honestly think part. they were trying to lose, but the Wizards were like, no, we suck. We're going to get blown out even when you're openly giving us this game. I, the, look, the Wizards suck. I will definitely say that. And Westbrook, you know, as great as he is, I, every time it comes to the playoffs, his playoff stats, like they flashed it. I, I forgot what they were. Um but over like the last several postseasons are abysmal. Like this guy's the easiest guy to take out in the playoff series. It, it's so the reality is like you talk about the Wizards trading for Russ is a good decision. We've all been through this. I don't want to relitigate that, but every Wizards we the Wizards Twitter sphere brought in a lot of Russ stands, and those guys do not play nice. Like everyone sucks, but Russ. Like this is their god. Like it's a really crazy bunch. I did not realize yep. he had that level of stand. And I think with Russ, you just have to acknowledge he's going to win you a lot of regular season games and lose you a lot of playoff games. Like, he's not willing to change his style of play. It doesn't work in the playoffs. It works in the regular season because teams are not, you know, ramped up to that gear. And therefore, that's okay. Like, the Wizards needed that, right? They needed some sense of professionalism. They needed some sense of effort and night-to-night, like, give a shit. But then you can't go back and be like, oh, I'm surprised that this didn't work in the playoffs. Yeah. it never works. No. He hasn't been good since he had Durant running next to him. So, yeah. you know, it's fine. Like, if that's – they probably knew that. Like, does John Wall get them the eighth seed instead of Russ? Probably not. So, in that case, they had playoff games when they wouldn't have otherwise. So, you know, it's a success from that standpoint. But the lack of – the lack of, like, desired for greatness is just pathetic. Um, and that's <laughs> that's a, the conversation for another day. Uh, yeah, we already talked more Wizards than I than I wanted to, given all the other teams in the field. Um, yeah, but anything else to wrap up? How would you rank these four uh, second Series? round matchups in terms of watchability, not in terms of anything? So we know Brooklyn is Brooklyn Milwaukee is yep. one for me. Denver Phoenix is two. Oh, uh, interesting. Just because I think 
kind of like that stylistic clash should be interesting. Utah, the, the maybe Utah is really too because I think either Memphis or the or sorry either Dallas or the Clippers would be fun. Yep. But I really think Utah might be a machine right now. Um, after they lost Game One, I told you it looked like reminded me of Toronto, Orlando a few years ago. Won the next four. They had some tight spots. Josh showed out, but I expect Utah to win who, against whoever they play. Um, and then four is is Philadelphia, Atlanta, because I think if Embiid plays, this won't be close. Yep. And if he doesn't play, I actually expect Atlanta to win pretty handily. So yeah, that's if Atlanta wins, they're just getting waxed in the the conference finals, right? So right. it's not. But what a turnaround for them if they somehow show up with a conference finals God. appearance after everyone gave them so much shit for the Trey Luca deal and all the other things. I, I do have to do, a, you know, I have to say that I've been a big Trey hater since day one, and he's he's been amazing, man. Like, I can't even um, – this season, he's definitely improved quite a bit, and he's playing very differently than the last several seasons. And I think Bogdanovich has helped, um, and I think uh, Nate McMillan has helped. Uh, I think this whole team is just clicking in a, in a different way. And, you know, I would be curious, though, is same thing with Devin Booker. Is it that these guys suddenly figured out basketball or is that you put competent players around them? I think um, Trey Young, part of it is he figured it out. More so than Booker. Like last Booker's year, he was averaging good. 29 and 9. Uh, I yeah, know he was just, shot hunting and things like that, but he was so much more selfish. Like I don't like he got his assists right, but he got his assists in the way that you're you know when you have the ball so much in your hands, you're going to either score or get an assist. I think he's just playing much smarter, um, and making the right decisions more often. I don't know. Like I I was less incensed watching him this series. He does the foul baiting thing still, but than I have been watching him in the past, where I thought that he was just absolutely hard to watch, just gunning for his own shot always looking for the foul, his stringy hair flopping around. I, but I think part of it is that he just needs to get a good like barber, cut the hair <laughs> off, man, get a better look. What should he do? Because should like he – is he balding? I mean, like, he's balding, but it's, like, also, like, kind of has some volume to it at the same time. I think point. his hair is thinning out, uh, and he's probably balding. So, But the base looks a little bit more, like – like it's got a little bit more substance to it than the top, like the like the sort of like the just you know kind of like like waves at the top or whatever's going on up there that make that look make it look worse. Yeah, I think he's just got a weird head shape. Any, but um, he's too I don't small know, man. to he, go bald though. Like he'd be looking like Jared Bayless out here, and that would not work. For his, <laughs> That's true. It wouldn't work. It wouldn't work. Like it wouldn't work for his stardom. That's the problem. Yeah. See, part of part of the I mean, isn't there, there's that theory, right? That like you know, why good-looking people are more successful? Like, why do you think Devin Booker is so successful? That's actually I texted you last night. That's one of the reasons it's hard to know that he's a killer because he looks because like a so GQ good model on the court. It's it's insane. <laughs> it's disarming. But, oh god. Um, do you agree with those rankings, or would you have Utah in the two two hole? I definitely put Utah in the two hole because. Um, if they play the Clippers, I think that's big just because of, you know, the star power of the Clippers. If they play the Mavs, I think it's going to be interesting just to see how far Luka can take them. I think – and Utah, like you said, might be better than we've given them credit. I, the funny thing about this season is Utah and Phoenix have flown quite under the radar. And I'm guilty of this as well, saying I don't take them seriously when we still have the Lakers, the Clippers, and all these other teams. Yeah. But it – at this point, now we have to take them seriously. And, and these yeah, two teams, one of them might be in the finals. Like, very good I chance. St- 
I said the other day, I was like, when was the last time the one, two seeds were not favored and I didn't think they were going to advance. And now it looks like they're going to be the conference yeah. finalists. So, yeah. And then if they play in Milwaukee, all of a sudden you got this weird, like, we I know about, that's what I'm saying. Phoenix, What's Milwaukee, good? Utah, Milwaukee. It all sounds weird. I need to look into finals tickets for the, for the bucks. Maybe drive up to Milwaukee for that. That would be yeah. amazing. They're probably just like I mean, the Bucks haven't made the finals since the seventies. So you should I don't try imagine. go to a Bucks Nets game. Yeah, I know, but though I bet those tickets are just as much. <sighs> All right, I'll look at this offline. That's a wrap for us. Uh, please rate, review, and subscribe to Thick and Thin Hoops. Please follow us on Instagram and Twitter at Thick and Thin Hoops, and email us at thickandthinhoops at gmail.com. We will talk to you next week.